Hello, and welcome to Got Punctum. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. I collaborate with emerging and seasoned photographers, arts and educational institutions as a curator, educator, and consultant. My mission is to illuminate, elevate, and amplify the work of contemporary photographers. Please connect with me on my social media platforms at jsibilla on Instagram, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. I use all these platforms to share my resources. And please visit my website, jsibillasmith.com, for an outline of specifics on the services I offer. Today, we have our 10th artist talk with photographer and bookmaker Jessica Todd Harper. Jessica uses photography to capture the poetic beauty of everyday life. We cover her latest book called Here and talk of her latest exhibition, Kinship, at the National Portrait Gallery. And we talk about everything in between in the very busy life of this artist mother. We are so glad you're here. So welcome, Jessica. I am so excited to have a quiet moment and a dedicated moment to talk to you about your process. And if I recollect, I believe the first time we met was in New Orleans at SPE. Does that ring true for you? I think so too. At least that's the first time we had a lengthy conversation. Mm -hmm. We went out for a meal. Yes. <laughs> with Elizabeth, right? Is that what um, did? I can't remember. Um, um, I just knew part of what drew me to you was the, the space you enter and really being curious about it. So it's pretty obvious that I'm very intrigued about the space for mother artists. And um, if you go back in some of the people that I interviewed, uh, Hedy Judah writing about how not to exclude mothers and other mm -hmm. parents. Um, I literally, it hasn't dropped yet, but interviewed Diana Carlin on undo motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I am very much an advocate for women artists, whether they're mothers or not. Um, but I'm very, very curious about women artists entering that space. So that's what I knew drew me to, to you. And then it's just been wonderful to watch um, the evolution and frankly, be quite curious. Um, you have twice as many children as I do. And <laughs> when I think about how you have woven all of those aspects together, that the idea of where you focus your art and how and why. So, so those are all the things I'm coming to our conversation with. Um, mm -hmm. And love to have you give us a sense of the etiology, give us the sense of your growth, because I believe 
you know, art has been integral to your whole life. You have drawn, you love painting. I know you come informed from an art historical perspective, but why photography? And, and I guess the, give us some background, then I'll ask you this one question sure. that I've got, because I think it'll get too deep too quickly and I need some foundation. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I, yes, I, I grew up with a big admiration for a lot of um, famous artists, in particular, the Impressionists, Mary Cassatt, Renoir. Um, these were my heroes as a kid. We lived really close to the Clark Art Institute. Mm. And my mom used to take us to sketch paintings on rainy weekends. Mm. Or if we had an out-of-town guest, she would suggest that as a field trip. And they were very good there. They let us copy with crayons, charcoals. Um, it was never a big deal to camp out in front of something. And my bedroom was covered in Mary Cassatt posters. Um, <laughs> I, I really I really looked up to that. And of course, in retrospect, those are all family scenes. I, I didn't mm. think about it necessarily at the time, but um, Renoir, uh, John Singer Sargent, um, even when they are hired to commission other people's families, we're looking at, at the family in these paintings. And those were always really intriguing, um, more so than landscapes. And Perhaps that's because I grew up in a family that was very talkative. My relatives loved telling family stories about people who were alive, people who were dead. Um, it was it was just kind of taken as a given that I knew all about everybody who was in my present generation, but also three generations back and what they did and how they treated their children and the adventures of their lives. And so I, I think the the family narrative was always intriguing. And I was also at an early age, really drawn to Edith Wharton novels, um, Tolstoy, these authors who look at the family and over generations mm -hmm. and um, how, how that impacts the meaning in our lives. Mm. So I, those were always interests. And, and I think as a child, I toyed with the idea of growing up and being an artist as much as any child can articulate what they're going to be when they grow up. Uh, when I was 15, I was accidentally put in a photography class. I had signed up. <laughs> I had signed up in the summer to do figure drawing and painting, and there was no more room in the painting class. So I did figure drawing in the morning and um, and photography in the afternoon. And, and I was, you know, I was a, a prejudiced young person who thought that photography was an art and um, I wasn't expecting much from this experience and I unexpectedly fell in love. I took all of the photography classes I could in my high school. My teacher, uh, his name was Mark Van Warmer, was really great at, at giving me independent studies, letting me have as much access to the darkroom as I wanted. And um, I discovered what was called the main photographic workshops at the time. So that was a good way to access the, the larger photography community to see this was something that people did. And uh, Arnold Newman was a really great mentor early on. And so it was pretty clear to me that photography was going to be a big part of my life from pretty much instantly um, at that, by the time I was a teenager, to what extent was more of a question, but I knew that this wasn't going away. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's super helpful because I think the question that I ruminated on as I looked over, I have more than one of your books, was what are you seeking, questioning, exploring with your camera? Yeah, so the I think that all three books... Um, they have the same designer, the same publisher, so they fit nicely together on your bookshelf. They mm-hmm. they look like they're part of a series, and it's not a stretch to suggest that they are. It's a lot of the same characters. It's these family groups over the last 22 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the, the most recent book is titled Here, and mm-hmm. that was chosen by a, a poet friend of mine. And... I love the way that it it even in its uh, simplicity and its brevity, it it really um, emphasizes <laughs> to focus on what's right in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. And in in part, it was inspired by the pandemic years where all of us were focusing more on what was right in front of us since we were isolated from each other. And i I found that I, what I'm emphasizing in this book is a thread in all of my work, but it's this sense of awe in the everyday that, that everyday things can feel transcendent and a lot of great art over the centuries conveys that feeling that even if it's something not particularly exciting that's happening, um, Vermeer can suggest that, this is very important just by the way he uses light and composition. Um, An artist like Michelangelo, you can totally tell something important is happening because there are all kinds of supernatural events and people are naked and there's rippling muscles and there's blood. And so that that's one way to Mm. make sure that the viewer understands something significant is happening. But I think I've always been drawn to um, this tradition that, I would say is located mostly in starting in like the Northern European Renaissance, like Vermeer, um, Mm -hmm. who is, uh, you know, a little bit in the 1600s. So not exactly Renaissance, but um, Mm -hmm. he comes out of that tradition of, of trying to convey the divine from the prosaic. And so that's what uh, excites me. Mm. When, um, when did you know that? <laughs> um, that's such a good question for almost <laughs> any any aspect of one's life, right? Like when did totally. you know of your husband? When did you know that you were made to be okay, the give us the date? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, exactly. I, I think but... that I think that we know things in different ways because we're over time, because we are beings in time we, our sense of knowing anything evolves with the passage of time. And so I think that, as I alluded to earlier, I was attracted to family narratives, both in visual arts and in literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I can speculate that it has something to do with the family that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, I think that the Northern Renaissance in particular was something I was more exposed to in college. I was in an undergraduate art history major at Bryn Mawr. And I had a professor from Germany who was 
really interested in German art. And I remember in an introductory level class looking, it was mostly landscapes. And um, so that made it maybe extra challenging for someone like me. But I remember looking at these, these works and thinking, there's nothing happening here. This is really boring. <laughs> and, and, um, and yet being forced to spend time with these images and engage with them and write about them and learn about them, I, I came to really appreciate that aesthetic. And, you know, as, as a, a young teenage girl, I think Renoir and Mary Cassatt, it was mm -hmm. cozy. They were warm. Um, that was easy for me to understand. And I think that work in general, I mean, Impressionist art is very accessible to, mm. to greater population. Um, but I developed more of an appreciation for the subtleties of the Northern Renaissance as an undergraduate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because um, I'm thinking about the the thread I think I picked up on mostly, frankly, in in spending time with here and then spending time researching to be ready to talk to you, that transcendence um, comes through. And it made me think of um, religiosity, like where does your belief system come into it or is there a belief system like I think that's why I'm so curious it's you're clear about things in a way that feels both spiritual but also based in a religious tradition Sure. So I, I think it's not an accident that I'm drawn to Northern European art because that's where Protestantism uh, evolved. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, you know, part of the Protestant Reformation is is uh, <laughs> a fear of idolatry. So mm. you know, when, when German soldiers were using the Sistine Chapel as a stable, um, during the sack of Rome after the Reformation, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that kind of disdain is is communicated. Um, they they worried that you know the Catholic Church, the Italians, that their art was too beautiful and people wouldn't focus on God. So, um, so in the Northern Renaissance, that's that that subtlety, um, what we would identify as as subtlety, is has roots in that tradition. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, I grew up in a Protestant family, and so. Um, I think that's probably has some cultural, um, you know, I can understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think as I'm also, a had a very modern secular education and I think that as I got older in trying to wrestle with the materialist, um, nature of contemporary life. And we live in a, in a very materialist age. And, and what I mean by that is uh, that we locate answers for, for meaning in the world and in, in what we can touch and, and see and, and prove mm -hmm. um, in a rational way. And, um, and, and my education was very much rooted in that kind of philosophy. Um, 
as as most of the intellectual world, you know, were influenced by the Enlightenment on, and and I, I love that, and I love engaging with all of of that theory. But I also, as I reached young adulthood, I found that there was something unsatisfying in looking at the world purely from a materialist point of view. I always had this um, intuition that that there was the most meaningful part of life wasn't something that could be measured and mm. proven. And so I think my approach to art has, has always been an exploration, an effort to probe that meaning that lies below the surface, the, the parts of life that we know are there, but can't see or prove. Um, you know, a, a, an example of that might be love. Um, it's, we 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 uh, structure our lives around love and will you know die for it, fight for it, um, are very motivated by it. But yet, how can you show it? You you can't point out to it anywhere or prove it. Um, and yet, it it's what makes our life meaningful. So mm-hmm. there are aspects to life which which are which make us human, um, mm-hmm. uniquely human, as opposed to you know, the animals. Um, and in my art making, I think I'm trying to name that or identify it somehow through metaphor. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> that is like, um, really well realized and considered way of seeing and like all my work is to understand how artists see and to ride shotgun with them to illuminate that, right? And when I see it happening, as I did with your work, I'm so curious as to how and why. So it makes a great deal of sense. And in my mind, uh, I would say you're using light um, and the here and now to make a commentary and and a connection to things that you believe in, that you're grounded and a 21st century person who's aware of a tradition and a belief of more than something like, I guess what I'm pointing to is just divinity, like almost light as a connectivity to the divine. Sure. And in the Western tradition uh, that there's a a long, well, tradition of that. So with the use of the halo, um, but even after the Renaissance, when the halo starts to disappear, artists like Caravaggio or Rubens will, Vermeer even, will use uh, a well-lit figure to convey their import and mm-hmm. even sometimes their divinity. So, um, so that light is, is, it's a good tool and one that I definitely use to speak to, um, a world that is beyond what we can know right in front of us. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to understand, um, I mean, it makes sense again that you're drawn to 
portraiture <laughs> because it's it's this connection of the human experience that you're uncovering. Um, however, how did you meld, I guess, this, it's a real combination of life and art. Mm -hmm. And it's also this idea of what you're thinking and conceptualizing and exploring while you're in the midst. So it's a really interesting parallel process that is again intriguing because you're <laughs> you know, you're not someone who is separated from the chaos of child rearing. Um, I used to laugh when I my kids were very small and it, the person who helped us would come. I used to laugh and say, wow, Allison, I want your life. Like you got to take a shower and you got to, you know, ABC, like do these things <laughs> that don't come easily when you've got people in Yes. your care under five years old. So, um, you know, it's that idea that you are presenting some idealized versions of family at the same time that you're not making it uh, antiseptic or, you know, without the chaos. So it's, it's really interesting. It's like, how did you do that? How did you? Yeah. So I, I mean, that, that's a good question. Cause I think what some of the questions behind that question are um, relating to the difference between photojournalism and art. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm often asked to what extent are these documentary? And mm -hmm. uh, I would say very little. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So yes, because, <laughs> because most of our, most of our lives, um, Look, even if you don't have small children, but definitely front and center, if you do have um, small children, your mm -hmm. life can very easily get filled up with checkoff lists. Um, mm -hmm. I have to get this person to this place by this time, and they have to have this snack, and they they need a new outfit, and I've got to plan for all of those things. And mm -hmm. so you can get really um, bogged down in that. And, and mm -hmm. yes, with motherhood, that is definitely a challenge that mothers will kvetch to each other about. You can feel overwhelmed by the to-do list. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, I think that um, people have a lot of techniques to try to get away from that as much as, as we are driven, um, industrious, Westerners, I mean, that's part of our culture, um, is to achieve, to get things done, um, to accumulate. Mm -hmm. I think that many people seek ways to get away from that so they don't go bonkers, right? So mm -hmm. people might start running marathons or doing meditation. Um, you could drink alcohol. You can, mm -hmm. um, you know, have relax with your friends. Uh, there are you know ways to um, get out of that, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure. Was it Malcolm Gladwell? I think maybe you talked about this, but th this idea of flow, the idea that yes. um, so ballerinas, uh, tennis players, um, mm -hmm. you know, painters, like if you are are uh, you're in this space where you kind of forget time, you don't even notice sure. moving, and that's a, a really satisfying yeah. place to be in. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I'm making pictures, um, 
for me, that's what that is. It's it's in a, I don't want to say escape necessarily, but I want to say it's a counterpoint to uh, to the task oriented nature of everyday life. It's it's a way of me trying to mm-hmm. um, to to be in in a kind of abstract zone, and and the the pictures are reflecting that. They're not, it's not a document of, oh, I'm such a crazy, crazy, busy mother and aren't the kids messy and isn't life crazy. Um, there, there are a lot of pictures that do that well too, but that's mm-hmm. not, and I could do that. I mean, I have lots of material to do that, <laughs> I want to do. Um, but I think that photography has never been that for me, even when, before I had kids, it's about exploring our interior lives, about trying to get in touch with what is um, transcendent about everyday life. And so now I'm just using small children and family life to do that, but it's, those are those are just the medium. It's not necessarily the message. So, mm. um, and I think often when people think small children, they think chaos. Um, but that's that's it. Just happens to be that I'm using small children. But the the message has been consistent for me for years. Yeah, and I think I think that's the um, you could say juxtaposition or the tension um, that happens is you're presenting a portal that. Mm that is reverent in a way. Mm. Um, and, and yet for someone like me looking at that and trying to read the photograph and then understand the creator, that's why it was so compelling to say, that's the parallel path I was trying to, to talk about. And I love that what you did was answer it. You were like, okay, I don't leave where I am. I actually engage the people in my world to animate my thought process. And in so doing that, you're actually giving yourself this break because you become very different in relationship to it. And frankly, it's truly a break. You get to not think in the same way. You're getting to use that highway. I mean, I can, and again, remember, um, it is very hard to um, know what that chaos can be like if you haven't experienced it. And even if, you know, in partnerships, it unfortunately you know, statistically is going to be often a mother in a heterosexual coupledom that is doing the lion's share of that uh, emotional work as well as endless to-dos, as you said, to just get these people through a day. Um, and I remember in my own life one time, um, this was back when we used to write checks, and I went to write a check and I had started a check and it was dated two weeks before. And I literally showed it to my husband to say, this is what I mean. Like you just are so interrupted often that it's very hard to have that linear accomplishment. However, you're making me think of from my own experience, I got into yoga in prenatal yoga when I was pregnant with my my son and I never stopped. And I had the same teacher for like a dozen years. And her comment was, you always come to class so eager. 
<laughs> and it's like, this is the only hour and 15 minutes in my week that someone else, like I let go of everything. Right. And I'm just, even when the kids, when my husband would have to travel and I would bring the kids and they would be playing in the lobby of the church basement where we were practicing and you could hear them and yeah. it just didn't matter because they were okay. And I was okay. And I wasn't in that role. And it's interesting when you look at, and I'm, I don't want to go down this path because that's not what we need to. But when I was talking and taking apart what Diana Carlin did in her uh, photo book that interviewed women that expressed maternal regret, it was never about the relationship or, or the entity of the person you are parenting. It was actually the role. It was the job. It was the juxtaposition of what is idealized as, as one thing and actually another and that discrepancy. So mm. um, anyway, I digress. But the reason being that you are offering, um, your own exploration and you are intervening in a way that was like yoga for me. <laughs> You know, it's interesting when you use the word idolized. Um, I don't know if you meant idolized or idealized, but I, I was thinking mm. about idol. And I, idealized, but mm -hmm. go ahead. Yep. Because I think that's partly what tortures us is that the idols of, that we encounter on social media or whatever, the, these ideas in our mind that mm -hmm. our life ought to be a certain way and yet yeah. it's another way. And, and that... Um, that's destructive to our well-being mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. carry that around in our heads. And I think one of the, the things that I'm trying to tackle with here is that actually your life is, is right here in front of you. This is it. This is your life. <laughs> and it's nice. It's really great that maybe somebody else has an, an idealized um, life mm -hmm. on social media or somewhere else or your friend down the block or whatever. That, that's great, but this is your life. And, um, and so what can you appreciate about it right in front of you? What's right here in front of you that you can, um, that you can use to, to get out of yourself, to get out of just the, the to-do list, because I think that, um, all human beings have that ability to kind of escape the, the, that, material grind in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we mentioned a few things they could do it through sports or meditation or, or writing or, you know, whatever people do. But I, mm -hmm. I feel like um, all of us, I think, I think this is a pretty common problem. It's certainly a problem for me. It struggle to, um, to remember to do that, to remember that we are, we're not just robots and nor are we just animals that mm -hmm. we are human beings and to engage with that human side of ourselves instead of just acting all day like robots and animals, you know, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm going to stuff something in my face, I have to do this, I'm going to get it done. I mean, and, and that's not ultimately satisfying just to live by our, our needs and desires and our to do lists. Mm -hmm. So this is about trying to find a, a third way of being, which is more the, the human being part, not the robot or the animal part. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of when people talk about we are human beings, not human doings. Yes. Um, and this idea, I just saw something and I'll have to backtrack to find out where this came across, uh, whether it was a news article or a social media post about a book written 
on hanging out. I, I, they didn't use the term hanging out, but it was the idea that even our time of recreation or, or downtime has an activity attached to it or an expectation attached to it, attached to it or time. Like when do we have that level of recharge? I mean, I'm old enough to remember when there were blue laws and stores were not yeah. open on Sundays. It yeah. it limited what you were able to do. And now we live in, you know, 24 hour seven Amazon land. And that never that idea of consumerism, materialism is just so pervasive. Well, super interesting. This is really um, insightful in terms of you giving me uh, ways in which to understand all that you're you're doing um, and how consistent you are in in the frame of it. You know, you're not doing the same thing, obviously, but your 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 parameters or your inspiration are 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 consistent. And, and struggling with the same questions. Which... Yeah, yeah. Well, it was interesting because I went to get. Um, I have um, the home stage. Um, I think uh, was interesting for me to look at again, um, especially in relationship to being with here and thinking about the home stage and the title being almost a clue that you are using your home as a stage on (laughs) some level. And then also this idea of stages. And it's interesting to think that your book after is called here. Like it's literally following your stages too. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The home stage was meant to be a double entendre of the the stage in life when you're kind of anchored to the home, you can't go anywhere because you've got three little kids. And, um, and then also that the home is a stage on which you learn to live. You learn to navigate the world. Um, mm-hmm. but then we had, um, uh, but then we had him. So. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure what stage we're in. It's just kind of the story is just continuing on. So, well, I know that because I saw you last at APAD with him in a in a in a baby Open Bjorn, barrier. and he's yeah. just adorable. But it was also like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know. And that's that leads me into this past year for you, which is really fascinating in terms of the reach of your work at the moment. I mean, here was coming out and you told me that at APAD last year. So that's almost a year ago. And then you were shown in Paris. So I'd love you to talk about that. You're part of the Kinship Show, which is exhibition, which is super interesting, I think, in terms of the, the artists that are gathered in that show. I think that's really fun. And then you didn't, you had the Rick Wessler show. Rick Wessler, yeah. In New York. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. why the fall was a little busy. Um, the book- <laughs> <laughs> Understatement of the year, but yep. Go ahead. The book yeah. came out in Europe first. So mm-hmm. um, the show in France was at uh, the Centre Claude, Claude Cahun in um, Nantes. And it's, 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 uh, 
it's funny. It's, it's, we don't really have anything like it in America, but it's, it's kind of like a museum, but it's also a commercial gallery, but part of its mandate is to educate the French people about photography. Mm. Um, So it has public funds, uh, but it also has this commercial arm. And so we, we had a show there and then we, the book came out in November um, in the States. And so we had the opening in New York in November and then the show at the Smithsonian at the National Portrait Gallery, that's the Kinship show, um, mm-hmm. came out in late October. So in time for them to have the book mm. <laughs> in their bookstore. So the publisher really wanted to time the book with with uh, these events. And um, and then, of course, I you know had a, a baby during all of this. So it was it was I think a lot of people have experienced kind of a, a COVID backlog. A lot of events happening after COVID ended um, mm-hmm. because there was you know, just kind of this backlog of things that absolutely. So, um, so, you know, that, that partly explains what was going on. Um, the kinship show is, is really so exciting for me to be a part of If anybody's familiar with the national portrait gallery space, right before COVID, there was a John Singer Sargent show in the exact same space. It's kind mm-hmm. of the, the whole right side of the bottom, um, part of the museum. And, mm-hmm. and so the kinship show it's, um, it's several artists, but we each have one room for our work. And uh, it's not just photography. They're, they have different media that they're working in. And um, it's going to be up for almost a couple years. So wow. for a while. And um, it it was really fun to work on that for so long because it kept on getting delayed with COVID. <laughs> so the, the curators changed their mind on, on the selection several times. <laughs> it was an evolving process. Um, but uh, but it was it was so exciting to to have it uh, finally come out and there's a catalog that goes with it and um, I'm I'm very yeah very just delighted and, and honored to be a part of that. Mm. And is your um, contribution retrospective or is it focused? Sure. On they here? they chose to draw pieces out of all three books. Mm-hmm. So. Um, trying to think of what the old, I think the oldest picture is from 2004, maybe 2003 or four. And then the most recent one is from, I think 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a, a long period of time and they're very interested in the, the life cycle. So mm-hmm. 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 I know Jess Dugan is part of that. Another mm-hmm. photographic, uh, contributor are there other photographers um yes there's um Latoya Ruby oh Frazier Latoya Ruby Fraser and yep. um also Thomas Holton Great. um I hope I'm not forgetting others that mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. everyone else is not a photographer um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. it's just such a rich compilation of of visions and experiences and that's really exciting and quite ironic that you're in one of your heroes' spaces. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited to be right after John Singer Sargent. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's just, uh, it's a delighter, but I feel like hardly we're not the same caliber at all. But it was, wow. it, it was what was really neat was that, that that show was his drawings, which I was less mm. familiar with. Um, so that was 
it was really fun to see. And they they painted the galleries in these Easter egg colors. It was really pretty. It was it's a shame that it you know it closed within weeks. Mm-hmm. It was really mm-hmm. nice show. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I have a couple of other specific questions. One is um, self portraiture, and how has that woven in and out of your work? Sure. Um, I think in part self-portraiture is there because I'm always available. (laughs) (laughs) You're an easy model to book. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the number one reason Mm -hmm. um, that I use it. So um, I don't think of it so much as, as me. I mean, uh, often people catch me when I, and and ask about this, when I'm talking about, so if I'm talking about the cover of the book, it's very common the way that I have discussed it. They'll say, well, you know, her skin tones need to be lightened up or something. And I like the way that her hand echoes the baby's hand. I mean, I don't even think of it as me. It's just, it, mm. it's a model. So I, I talk about it in the third person. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, it, it works nicely because this, you know, the self-portraits are, are across this um, long span of time. And so um it's nice that I have access to that same character over all this time. Yeah. Passage of time is really an important aspect to the meaning in the work. Well, also, um, you are rarely, and actually I don't know specifically, ever by yourself in your self-portraiture. Is that true? true. Yeah. I um, Yeah. When I was a student, um, I went to the Zac Deco in Paris for a semester and that's one of the, in France, they have these grand école, these big schools that um, they're like exam schools for specialties. And that's how, um, you know, they're free, but you have, it's really hard to get into. And then I don't know why they let a few Americans in um, every year. And so I I went to spend a semester there and um, I was so excited to be in this really serious dedicated art space but within a couple of weeks of being there I fell fell on the metro stairs and tore the ligaments in my ankle and this is a very strange practice but I guess this is the way medicine was back then in France was the cure was bed rest and so I was um in a studio apartment for five weeks in Paris and I took a lot of self-portraits by myself mm-hmm. then. And so, wow. um, but I think that's the last time. Otherwise, yeah, I think that my work is is mostly about relationship. So mm-hmm. um, the self-portraits are, are with in relation to the people around me. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. I, I have someone who I uh, was talking with and met with in Paris that, um, lives in Hong Kong and had to go through quarantine in a hotel room and herself had not picked up a camera for a long time and ended up doing an amazing series (laughs) because of that situation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, my other question that was specific was in terms of thinking about a book, um, there's a quote from Avedon a million years ago about how he was conscious of whether something was going to be on the wall or the page. And when he was thinking page, he was thinking more magazine culture page. Um, so I want to understand when is it a book? Like what is on the way to a book? When does it formulate? 
Um, so start there and then I've got one follow-up to that. Yeah. Um, I think I've, since grad school, I've had this rule of thumb that I try to make one good picture a month. Mm. And, um, I still stick to that. And I think when I've accumulated what I feel is enough pictures, then I make a book. (laughs) It's happened three times. (laughs) And, um, I, I, in in part, I mean, I, I think that we, at least I do take a lot of pictures that aren't good. So, um, you know, most of the pictures I take get thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that, you know, one good picture a month thing, but that's, that's continued. You know, that was started, that rule was started when I was shooting only film. I think now with digital, it's easier to achieve that goal. Um, and um, I think that because my work is my family, I try really hard to not make it uh, feel like a grind. I don't, I don't, do it all the time. I try to make it really count. So mm-hmm. I, when I am pretty confident that this is going to work, that's when I get my camera out. And my house is, this will speak to some of your um, interests in terms of being a, a mother artist, because mm-hmm. I feel like um, it was funny. I was just meeting with uh, Peter Barbary, who's the curator at PMA, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and he was asking about my studio. And I, my studio is <laughs> is basically kitchen it's, it's bedroom. Partly, yeah, it's partly under the couch. It's partly under the sideboard. It's in various closets mm. around my basement. I mean, just now before our meeting, I went down to the basement to get a copy of here, and I'm located on the in the attic of our house. Um, that's where my my office is and mm-hmm. it's also there's a spare bed here too so um I, I I kind of just try to make my life fit into my photography and mm-hmm. it isn't they're they're very uh dovetailed and so mm-hmm. anyway my camera is usually at the ready and my tripod is just under the couch and, and my lights are under the <laughs> sideboard in the dining room and so I, when I see something I can act quickly and then I I try to get it really really quickly because especially with children you lose the veracity very quickly if mm-hmm. it's kind of like working with pastry dough if you <laughs> handle it too much it's ruined so you've got to roll it out right the first time and mm-hmm. i feel i'm just thankful for all the years of practice i've had by now yeah that i'm i'm very fast and when mm-hmm. i do commercial work i've i've gotten that feedback a lot too people are surprised I just work very quickly and mm-hmm. um, I think that's because of all of the time I've spent having to work with children because mm-hmm. you just can't overwork the pastry dough absolutely I mean mothers and teachers right we you know it's like those mm-hmm. moments are fleeting and you got to be on it or it's over yeah yeah, yeah. can't mm-hmm. rework it that's so good I love the tripod under the couch mm-hmm. um and 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 I love your rule your rule of um a parameter for a good photograph a month. What, how do you know what constitutes good for you? How do you know it? How would you describe it? Uh, well, I feel like that's one of those things that you just know in your gut and then afterward mm. you come up with a nice informed argument about mm-hmm. why the composition works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I love that because you've mentioned intuition before, like you are obviously led by it and have a strong conversation with 
your intuition, but I, and I appreciate that you just brought up composition because we know that light is paramount to you, but you're also going for composition and you're going for what you just described, the veracity, right? You want the authenticity, you want the energy, what, what I would call punctum, uh, yeah. there, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah the little prick that Roland Bart talks about. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, composition is a lot like grammar in language. If you want to learn another language, it definitely helps to do a billion hours of drills. But once you're engaged in a real life conversation with someone about something meaningful, you're not thinking about the grammar. Hopefully by mm-hmm. then it's just intuitive. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if you don't know a second language, then you can think about it in terms of your own language. You don't mm-hmm. sit there and think about the grammar or how your sentence is constructed. You, you're you just thinking live. And so mm-hmm. I, when by now, when I'm making a picture, because I've done hours and hours and hours and hours <laughs> of, <laughs> of making photographs and studying mm-hmm. other people's photographs and studying other people's art, then I'm able to just, uh, you know, make conversation, just make the composition just very intuitively without mm-hmm. thinking about it. And then afterward, I can go back and say, well, yes, this works because of these rules, but I'm not aware of them at the time. Mm-hmm. I love how you said make conversation. And yeah, when we're looking at anyone who has put in those 10,000 hours, they make it look easy, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> when it isn't right, yeah. at all, <laughs> like at all, at all. So I've got one more question, which has to do with essays, both, um, I mean, it was interesting that you shared that here came from your friend that is a poet. Um, Titles are so important. So titles of books, but then what is, if there is text included in a book, what are the decisions about that? Um, How does that evolve? Um, So for this book, I have an artist statement. I, I feel like it's always useful to have some kind of statement because Mm -hmm. what's obvious to you isn't going to be obvious to the reader (laughs) and they need to have some way of, of understanding where they're starting here. Mm -hmm. So there's an artist statement. And I asked Bo Bartlett, who used to be located in Philadelphia. He's a painter from PAFA. That's the Philadelphia um, uh, Academy of Fine Arts. It's it's the oldest art school in America. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've admired him ever since I was in high school and and I don't remember if I'd watched a documentary or read about him or whatever. His his work is so beautiful. And um and so I reached out to him and asked if he would write about it. And because he also deals with a lot of the same themes. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he deals with the figure. Um he, there's a, a spiritual dimension to his work and uh, and it's about beauty. And I mean mm-hmm. that's that's another thing. The work yeah. is, um, he used to get into trouble because his work was too beautiful. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that intrigued me about him. Mm-hmm. So um, I I asked him. And then also, um, this is <laughs> highly atypical, but um, there's an economist named Russ Roberts who has a podcast mm-hmm. that I have enjoyed listening to for years. My, my husband is in economics, so I originally learned about it from him. But um, my sister, who's in medicine, became a big fan, and I listened to it also. And he interviews a lot of of writers and um, intellectuals. And uh, like one time, he interviewed Jill Lepore, um, who wrote these truths. She's a Harvard historian, mm-hmm. um, that's an American history book. So that you know, that's nothing to do. Well, it has something to do with economics, but it's not super wonky. Um, mm-hmm. And um, 
And so one time my sister, uh, as a birthday present, made a coffee mug with some of Russ Roberts' favorite economics quotes and uh, gave it to my husband for his birthday and he <laughs> loved it. And, and it was, you know, silly. I got a picture of him opening it up and he loved it. And so um, after, uh, after uh, I don't know, a few weeks after that, I just, as I was going through my files, I emailed Russ Roberts and said, my whole husband really appreciates your work and it contributes to the intellectual life of our family and friends. And and he wrote back and he said, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. That made my day. And I thought, oh, that's great. And, you know, and I went to bed and the next morning <laughs> I woke up and checked my email and I had this long email from him because he had clicked on um, my website at the mm. bottom of the page and he really loves photography. And so then that started to be this big conversation about photography and he's, he's very knowledgeable about poetry something I'm not knowledgeable about, but I feel like photography and poetry are somewhat analogous. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, we were talking about those ideas. And, um, and so he offered to do an interview for this book mm-hmm. release. And then I thought he's such a good interviewer. I'm going to use some of the text and include it in the book because I, he, you know, he's asking um, your podcast is is probably listened to mostly by people who know about photography and are, mm-hmm. um, fairly knowledgeable. His podcast has, you know, much more of a a lay audience. And Mm -hmm. so he's asking questions to help understand the images um, that I thought would be accessible to anybody who's intellectually curious. And so we excerpted part of that interview and included that in the book as well. And then the National Gallery um, in Washington kindly let me reproduce um, a bunch of their work that I talked about in the podcast. And so um, that worked really nicely. That's great. Well, you already had a, a relationship with the National Gallery, um, but to be able to get the permission for the the inspiration and use those images. Well, actually, the great. National Portrait Gallery is different. Oh, it's two different. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the also the um, the National Gallery of Women in, in the Arts. Oh, oh, that too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So right. DC yeah. has very similar names down there with a lot of really amazing museums. Um, one last thing, because of just what you said, um, do you get reflected or 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 queried on your work being too beautiful? Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think I talked about this a in the Russ Roberts podcast a little bit um, because I find that to be a really interesting question over the ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I teach art history uh, on the side on, mm-hmm. on Friday mornings um, to middle schoolers. And uh, one of the things that I I talk about with them is the relationship um, Oh, gosh, the relationship of art to um, what is good. And so when you look in the Middle Ages, when you look at illuminated manuscripts, um, monasteries are dedicating a huge amount of their resources to making these beautiful books. They're called illuminated manuscripts, and they are um, hand painted with precious pigments, some of them imported all the way from Afghanistan. And 
and um, liquid gold. And mm-hmm. the pages are made out of animal skins that are you know, very costly and you know, difficult to to make. This is this is not a cheap enterprise. And this is at a time in Europe when most people are living hand to mouth. So um, the you know the materialist in us <laughs> would say, why waste all this money on Mm-hmm. On, on making something that's beautiful when you could feed um, dozens, hundreds of people maybe for the for the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, these people felt it was really important to do so. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's thought that they did it because I think um, that same impulse of, of wanting to escape or transcend the the robot he, robot animal part of mm-hmm. their life. They, they have access to something transcendent, and and that beauty was so worth it that they would allocate that much of their manpower and and resources to achieve it. And and yet, okay, you know, you can hear that and think, well, that makes sense. That's nice, but that's not. It's not always been easy. It's it's complicated, and and sometimes people. Um, worry that if you have, uh, if you have too much of these, you know, of societies or any population's resources allocated to beauty, that it's misspent. A really good example is the bonfire of the vanities. Um, mm-hmm. This this monk Savonarola in the late 1400s in Florence was very worried about beautiful objects being a distraction from doing good from mm-hmm. not paying attention to the poor, not, um, not paying attention to God. And his solution of course, was to get the citizens of Florence to gather all of their beautiful objects and burn them. And so this is not anything new. I think there's always this tension, um, mm-hmm. this desire to, to achieve our material goals, um, is it's sometimes in tension with our desire to transcend them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think when, when sometimes people have, uh, have asked me about, you know, is the work too beautiful? Um, is it not, they're, they're questioning, they're, they're, the question behind that question is about that, that very longstanding tension between um, the needs of the material world mm-hmm. and um, and our desire for beauty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the paradox, right? And how do you hold those tensions? Uh, a, a recent uh, artist I spent time interviewing is Bin Don, and his work is breathtakingly beautiful and it is dealing with everything from genocide to other real atrocities and so it is where you where art becomes the intermediary um, or holds space for both makes me think of um, the anthem we need bread and roses yes Um, right (laughs) that in college yeah yeah yeah, it's uh, yeah, you know, it, it and it is a constant tension, um, and I guess I I would look at it too as the art being the transcending into something soulful, which is another one of those things that like love, as you mentioned, that you can't put your finger on or or hold or or touch, right? right. So um, yeah, 
Well, this has been a treat and a half because we haven't had this kind of time and it really helps me uh, expand my experience of the work um, the the layered context that you're bringing uh, to it uh, is really exciting. And um, I was also thinking, I am on a roll with a lot of mother artists. One of the other podcast guests is Tony Pepe, who her latest work is called Mother Craft. And mm-hmm. in my interview with Tony, it was really uh, her pointing out the trajectory of when we took both birthing and dying out of the home and Mm. how that has shifted so Mm. much. Um, And then this idea of care. Um, We recently had here in Boston, now it's in Seattle, Designing Motherhood, which is a majorly kick-ass book and traveling exhibition that looks at motherhood through this incredible multivaried lens of design, but it Mm -hmm. brings in all of the social and emotional and legal from reproduction to uh, birthing and the practices, right, that have how we have medicalized a lot of motherhood. Um, And one other point just to tie in, because you are definitely in the theme of, of mothering is the notion of looking at caring for one another, whatever the age, as a human quality and not tying that to a binary of gender. But how does that become a a, a way that we move into this space? differently. Mm. It's interesting because that's going to one last thought, but it just made me think of this when you talk about economics. When I was in graduate school, I had to write a paper literally on, um, (laughs) the name of my paper became All's Fair in Love and War, but What About Work? And it had to do (laughs) with comparable worth in terms of women in lower paying jobs. And if it's a lower, if it's, you know, teaching, nursing, et cetera, all that correlation between economics and, um, and my premise in my paper was that until we shared parenting, none of this was going to be changed. This, this is the basis of the paradigm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I learned by that research in the paper is that economics is like, the foundation of everything. Like it was so interesting to see how economists have their hand in absolutely everything. And we have no idea. And, and then to learn that economists are all like, just like psychology, it's like, this is all based on theory and who you're actually going to try to understand it from. Right. So it's not, no terra firma is out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, that's what I appreciate about you is your curiosity, and mm, and I, I like you. how you're interested in so many different things, and mm. um, and when I hear you interview people, I can see that you're just really curious, and I can see <laughs> that with interviewing, you know, being interviewed today mm. by you, and that um, that's what makes life fun, right? You, to learn more things. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I guess I'm. I always, I finally came up to be able to describe what I do is that the creative process is my medium. Mm, Yeah, it really is. And I'm just so curious how people engage in it. And it's ironic. I 
am not a photographer. I mean, I have fun taking photographs, but I love to draw. And, and when you talked about flow, my favorite art form for that is pottery on the wheel. I mean, I've had transcendent experiences when I've been in that space. So, yeah. And I used to get teased. Um, I took a class when I was studying at FIT. <laughs> I certainly had a circuitous background. Anywho, it was my, my life drawing teacher who laughed and said I could send the model home and turn out the lights and you'd keep drawing. <laughs> I, I was just in another world. So it's really fun. Um, that's, I think, what leads me through all this. But yeah, I am curious. And um, thank you. Thank you for your very, um, your um, clarity in being able to explain all the threads that come together is, is exceptional. So that's really wonderful. Oh, Congrats. Yeah. It's yeah. good to hear, particularly on so little sleep. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I get that. When I think of seasons of of motherhood, I, I honestly I checked my email because I was thinking about you this morning and thinking like, is everybody healthy? Because that's always what right. would happen, it's right? Like you know, yeah. all well, hell nice. breaks loose. One of the reasons I scheduled today is because one of my older kids is off school for the holiday uh, weekend, uh, so um, so I knew I'd have you know, and and my husband works from home. He knew about this, so I'm like, okay, I've got two layers of backup. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That there have been such challenging times with that when in my earlier, uh, my kids were younger. Yeah. And you learn flexibility for sure. Yes, learn how to pivot. <laughs> totally. But thank you. thank you so much. And two questions. Will you attend uh, SPE in Denver? Probably not. No, I wasn't Doubt going it. to. Yeah. Do you know, is APAD running this? Yes. Thing? Oh, yes. good. And I'll it, be there. So. Okay. That's what was my second question. It's the first weekend in April or the very last days of March. I don't remember. The Thursday, Friday, yes. Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I always enjoy that. That's great. Well, I, I'm yeah. sure I'll see you there then. See you there. Are you going to be bringing any of your kids? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, probably not the baby this time. He's uh, he's in everything now because he's toddling about. So yes, I can um, remember because well, first of all, he was adorable when I met him a year ago. So excited as if he was like, oh my god, an art show! Like he was thrilled. Yes, was the most optimistic, sweet temperament. And he's perfect for the last child because he just goes with everything. Oh, that's a riot! But I'm also thinking at this age, I. I always tell anyone who wants to um, have a heads up, 18 months is so challenging because they're so mobile and you can't yeah. reason. And it's like, you have to have oh. eyes in the back of your head. And, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I remember true. that stage. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great and day. And I'll see you in April. Terrific. Done. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining our conversation. If you are looking for support, guidance on your creative practice, I invite you to explore my website and to take advantage of my Tuesday free introductory call, Eastern Standard Time, 
between 11 and 3 to see if what your needs are and my services are a match. In the meantime, if you enjoy Got Punctum, we so appreciate if you rate and review. I want to share a recent review that we received called Great Podcast, engaging podcast with an interesting array of photographer guests. Learned something interesting about every artist or something useful to my own practice on every episode I've listened to, which is almost all. Sib has a thoughtful and unique way of introducing each guest that sets a tone for a reflective, expansive conversation that's great to listen to. Thank you so much. We really appreciate hearing your feedback, and we are excited to be part of the global visual culture conversation.